Hi everyone, welcome to a, another episode of Divided Films, the podcast where we talk about movies that audiences and critics do not agree on. With me as always is my very mysterious co-host Keith. Ooh, hello. And the murderous yet farcical Dan Conroy is back as our guest. Dan doesn't live here anymore. No, happy to be back, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm here. If we can get just that for the entire podcast episode of you just creeping us out, I think that would definitely uh, go a long way. Dan's been off the mic for 40 years. Just that the whole time. Yes, yes. The more of that. Uh, okay. Thank you, Dan, for coming back on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure having you on. Uh, so today... We are discussing the 1985 comedy mystery Clue, uh, written and directed by Jonathan Lynn, but with help with the story uh, with John Landis, and starring an ensemble cast led by Tim Curry. This movie falls into the category of having a mixed score with critics, but a positive score from audiences. So on Rotten Tomatoes, only 68% of critics approved, but 86%, flipping the numbers there, of audiences approved, uh, and the critics' consensus, a robust ensemble of game actors elevate Clue above its schematic source material, but this farces reliance on novelty over organic wit makes it entertain makes its entertainment value a roll of the dice. So the Rotten Tomato writers always having fun making puns in their consensus is. Um, but I don't know. I, I remember uh, watching this movie maybe in high school. I discovered this, and me and my theater friends really enjoying this. And I've watched it every now and then over the years. And I do like this movie. Although, if I want to put on my critic cap and be a little nitpicky, I I, sh I certainly could. And I can understand why the critics would not be a fan of say I get some of the critics opinions about maybe the plot being a little thin and um, you know the movie starting off strong but maybe you know kind of running into some bumps along the way but uh, what about you guys uh, do you go back with this movie or was this more of a recent discovery um, I, I yeah, actually, I was thinking about that when I first came back to this film, watching it again for the podcast. This was not a film that I saw very young, and I think it was because I looked at it as very dusty, a comedy from a different time. It just felt a little bit older, which I know is not a very good reason to not see something. But, you know, as a child, it kind of didn't really pique my interest, although Clue was definitely a board game I played with my family. And then I think I discovered it, same thing, like in my teen years, JJ, and thinking to myself, oh, wow, no, this is actually quite fun. Um, it has a bit of a, I guess you could say vaudevillian shtick to it, or maybe just more like slapstick, I think is what I'm looking for. Um, definitely helps with like Madeline Kahn and, and so many others in the, in the ensemble that are great with that. And then kind of returning it to it now, which is probably the first time I've kind of seen it in full for like probably nearly a decade. I don't think I'd been back to it. Although I've probably seen like little bits or pieces that I remembered that were fun. But yeah, that's that's about like where my memory was of it was not seeing it forever because it just looked 
like it had aged not so well. And then I would say being a little wrong about that. I mean, we'll probably get into more details about stuff that aged very poorly in it and stuff that kind of was even from the get go, not so great. But yeah, overall, I remember just having a lot of fun with it once I once I got to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you brought up I should have brought up in the beginning too. this is an adaptation of the board game clue, all the characters you know well the the, yeah, you have the six principal characters the playing characters and then you add some characters there uh just to make it more of a story and it's interesting to adapt a board game i guess clue kind of lends itself to storytelling because it's a murder mystery board game i mean over the years we've seen like i guess battleship <laughs> i don't know if there's any other board game adaptations that off the back i can think of uh, jumanji oh but that's not it's not, but it, but that was not a board game beforehand, right? right. They made that for the. It movie? was a fictional okay, board yeah. game that didn't exist. It existed afterwards, even though none of the magical things would happen <laughs> when you would play it. Boo. So I don't not, not sure what the point of that was, but yeah, this is yeah. It's it sounds kind of like a weird idea, like a board game. But I, I think if you were to adapt any board game into a movie, this would be the one. Uh, but what about you, Keith? Do you have a similar history with this as we do? Uh, kind of like this is, I think. I, I think this is my third time actually watching this movie. I, I saw it once in high school. Uh, I think I rented this from, like, the library. Just had it, like, oh, they made a, a movie based on Clue. And I kind of knew who some of those actors were. And actually, I probably I think I only knew who Tim Curry and Christopher Lloyd were at the time of, of high school. And then in college, I think my unique connection to this movie is one of my very uh, my dear friends trevor directed an adaptation version of this of the movie for one of our theater productions shout out to the shout out to you trev uh and i did watch this movie and both times actually for the third time watching this i've had the same feeling each time i it's fine i wish i could like it more but there's mm. things that are holding it back. And it's not the cast. I I don't know. I, I, I'm putting my I felt I felt really bad as I was reading through like the audience scores and I just read an article someone wrote during the pandemic why Clue is the best movie of all time. And I'm just like, Oh, what? I'm Yeah, they did the ten reasons why Clue is the best movie of all time. And though and people out there I mean, the Rotten Tomato audience reviews are like, I'm happy people enjoy this movie. I think this movie definitely, to me, is a cult movie. Yes, I, I, I agree. This is the best definition of a cult movie I can think of. I agree. I definitely think it has uh, the feel of a cult film, which is funny. Maybe Tim Curry, also just an actor who lends himself to cult followings. Uh, yeah. You know, also like Rocky Horror Picture Show, of course. I was going to say, yeah, like if, if if Rocky Horror Picture Show was too spicy for you, but you still wanted to go see something at midnight, you would be with the other kids going to see Clue. Like the movie theater should have two things at midnight, Rocky Horror Picture Show and Clue. And it depends on, on you know, how spicy you feel that night. Like how many how many call outs you want to have in the audience and throw toast at things. If the parents go to Rocky Horror and then the kids go to Clue in the next auditorium maybe oh parents love that yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe jj just not to interrupt but jj how many times would you say you've seen clue in your life could you even could you count was it over three yeah yeah i think <laughs> i've yes i uh, definitely more than three 
but less than a thousand. Uh, but I would say somewhere. <laughs> All right, it's a good number. <laughs> somewhere in between, I would say uh, roughly around like I don't know six or seven times I've seen this movie. Okay, because because it, it was funny that Keith and I had both seen it about three, and it made me think to myself, if you also have, this is the kind of movie you could see maybe once every ten years, and that would be fine. Just to remind you of like some like fun one-off jokes that Christopher Lloyd made or that Tim Curry does, yeah. And then you don't have to go back to it for a whole nother decade. That's fair. I think um, I would catch it on TV. I think they used to play it on cable every now and then when I was they much would. younger. Yeah. Uh, they don't really do as much anymore, so I would catch it, you know, on TV here and there. Uh, but a start to finish viewing, maybe closer to like four or five times, I think we yeah. got the DVD at, at home. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the movie does start out strong because it starts off with more of the mystery element with like a few jokes here and there. But then as the movie progresses, it trans it transitions more and more into an all out farce, which is to like. It's, it's like a mixed bag. You know, I kind of wish they maintained a little more of the mystery element as it went on uh, instead of getting a little too, like, you know, people running back and forth so much and, you know, the, the one-liners and everything. I think the physical comedy does work. I mean, all these actors, I think, have good comedic timing, and that's what, what saves it from getting too gaggy all the time. I mean, I do appreciate, you know, all the times that Michael McKean is kind of thrown around and, like, all the times that... Um, you know, like the the Miss Scarlet character, like you know, has has a sassy line or something. Like that all works because the actors are so good. I think they all have really good chemistry. Uh, but it does get a bit chaotic towards the end. And there's like a few moments where it's like, all right, let's start to get to the end here. You know, I think it does. The plot does start to feel a bit thin towards the end. Uh, but it does have a strong start with introducing also some of these elements about. Yeah, how they all work in DC and like you know, there's a theme of the government and communism, although they reiterate a bunch of times at the end that that's all just a red herring which i guess a lot of mysteries will do communism is a red herring i would yes say, yes i would say the beginning of this movie is definitely the strongest like it actually kind of sells me on the clue premise with uh like the reservoir dogsness of the alias like oh you will be mr mustard the the twist of mr body right mr bot uh, uh mr body mr body yeah yeah uh, and yeah no i like and I'm with like Gene Siskel and on this like this is the middle on this needed some strength as long as uh, in addition to the endings. Yeah, you'd have some alternative in addition to the like the three alternate endings. Maybe have some alternate middles because uh, yeah, right. The, the the beginning, the first act. I think it was smart that they also established reasons why there would be murder involved, blackmail. I think they gave every character an interesting reason to be blackmailed. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Because I, I don't think the clue, maybe in the instructions, there's some backstory to the board game as to why someone would kill Mr. Body. But in this, you know, also how they introduce all the weapons. It's smart. I think how all their names are aliases. Yeah. All that seems yeah. to be smart. I think they start off, uh, they had a strong premise. Again, yeah. like the elevator pitch. He's dead. What? Who had the gun? I did. Then you shot him. I didn't. Well, you had the gun. If you didn't shoot him, who did? Nobody. Look, there's no gunshot wound. Somebody tried to grab the gun from me in the dark, and the gun went off. Look, the bullet broke that vase on the mantel. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. He's absolutely right. Look, there's a bullet hole here in the wall. See that? Huh? How did he die? I don't know. We're not a forensic expert. Well, one of us must have killed him. What? I didn't do it. Oh, God, I need a drink. 
I think considering that, like, uh, what could what could a movie be based off? It could be based off a book. It could be based off a short play. It could be based off, uh, you know, um, a, a short film that was then made into a longer film. But to be the first film, because I believe this is what it was, the first film to be based off a board game and not even a board game with that much of a plot line. I mean, if I remember the instructions of Clue correctly, because I did play it as a kid you know that Mr. Body's dead and you just have to find out who the murderer is. They don't give you anything else. So this whole plot that they came up where they, like you said, JJ, they all worked in DC. There's this theme of the fear of communism. I mean, everything from the cook watching the, the Joe, Mac, uh, what is Joe McCarthy uh, uh, hearings yeah. to uh, just constantly talking about uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Body's wife's friends were socialists. You know, it, it was very clever. And I think the beginning was, I agree with you both, very strong um, because we are getting into this universe. And then it just doesn't bear the weight very strongly for the remainder of the time, almost as if this plays better as like a short film or a stage play more than it does a feature length, because it's just you're asking a lot of like a murder mystery that's supposed to go for a full feature length time. And and I'm kind of just echoing what you guys just said. But yeah, the the, the devolving into slapstick feverish running and 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 just kind of uh uh, uh, running about the mansion back and forth, running into each other, slamming into doors. Um, it, it kind of felt very like Mel Brooksian. And uh, I was like, wait a minute, how was I supposed to feel again? Because I kind of like missed the point. Yeah, because in the beginning too, there's some dramatic moments, like when Mr. Body is trying to escape and there's some, you know, they set the mood with the storm and everything. It does seem a bit yeah. tense a lot. And then all those themes that they introduced kind of get forgotten in the middle as characters are running back and forth. Um, so, yeah, that that's too bad, because I think, again, they started off on a strong note. And then also with the kind of humor, you mentioned Mel Brooks, but also John Landis, I feel like maybe was a little more involved in the directing than yeah. we're aware of, because there are some of those touchstones that he's known for, because a lot of the humor is based on things breaking, you know, like glass breaking, furniture yes. falling apart, you know, people getting thrown Absolutely. about you know that's such a touchstone of his leaning on something and breaking right yeah. right it's just even that sound effect of glass breaking that you hear in all of his movies you hear that a lot in this movie too so i'm like he i think he was more behind he the camera it. than the credits would have you believe it's a movie where the yeah. the tone around like where uh from where it goes like to the first act to the second the tone begins to spiral out a bit because it becomes a lot like there's a lot of comic stylings uh like you know i got i i got mel brooks i also got like i i know he wasn't around yet but like christopher guest i got like i feel like armando anucci could do a new clue i got I, I, it tried to be witty it tried to be slapsticky it tried to be tried to be every comedic it, it was definitely a farce i like it was a parody on uh you know the Agatha Christie murder on the Orient Express uh, Express type movies that that were popular beforehand at or at the time. It was trying to be a lot of things, and it yeah no, it was just trying to be a lot of things, and it, and it, the messiness showed. I think another thing too with it trying to give you a lot at once is that it's also trying to establish this universe very quickly at once, which wasn't so bad in those first couple of minutes because you know i i don't know if you guys had this because you, you both played the board game as kids sure right? yeah yeah once once in a while okay like like once or twice at three the times. very least so <laughs> i will yeah, once twice three times less than a thousand so times. i uh 
I only played you. Well, you played between three and three thousand. Uh, but like, so I actually walked into this movie. I remember for the first time with an idea of who the characters were supposed to be. First of all, I always thought Mrs. White. I because the board game that I had. Uh, uh, portrayed Mrs. White as, as the yes. maid. I think some of the board yes. games originally did. So in this one, she's a widow. Fine. Um, what was the example I was going for? Oh, the one that really confused me in the film was um, Professor Plum. I feel like in a lot of the board game artwork, and, and my apologies to everyone listening to the podcast that I am relying on someone's character and identity completely on how they are perceived on a board game <laughs> uh, uh, cover. Uh, professor Plum was kind of more of a bookish sort of quiet professor based on the uh, uh, game that I had and Christopher Lloyd played him as just a huge pervert and that was tough for me to wrap my head around I was like is the joke that you're just grabby and and, and really inappropriate all the time so they're, they're trying to like shove a lot of that down your throat quick in this movie because um, we have a lot of plot to get to to get to like all the details of the murder itself and uh, I, that, I will admit that was shocking for me and I, I was reminded of that shock when I came back to the well, film. Well you're right because He's basically uh, Professor Plum is just played as a creep for for most yeah. of the movie. Um, try to think. All I think Mrs. Scarlet pretty much is what you'd expect her to be. This voluptuous, you know, that's power exactly lady. yeah. That one was. But right you're right. Mrs. Mrs. White is a maid, like a ma- like an old old maid on the cover. Uh, and this move, this this war game has been updated a few times. I've noticed in maybe like a Target or something a more updated version. They like diversify the characters and they make them look a little like more like sexy or something. I I, cool. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, Very cool. Down for that. Yeah, I, yeah. They don't look like they don't look like the dusty murder mystery people that would come from like a Sherlock Holmes or Agatha Christie anymore. No, no, no. I think just because obviously that would not be as appealing nowadays. Uh, but yeah, the, the other archetypes you get from the characters because they're all like defined by just a few different qualities. So Mrs. White mm. is this very quiet man killer and i thought that was actually a shame because madeline khan is very funny and she probably gets the least amount of jokes of the whole cast i would say that she's like the most overshadowed like she has like the one moment that i think a lot of people like you know the flames on the side of my face oh heaving breaths that's funny but so out of nowhere yeah no, but it's it, and, and it's all ad libbed. I read, so uh. it's like that. That whole thing was completely ad libbed, and I gotta say, it was the most refreshing part of the film because there are moments, there are moments in this film because to echo what Keith said, and I agree, there's a lot of different comedic presences coming in at once, and they don't always work super well together when talking to each other. Sometimes there's feels like this like kind of disconnect between the characters um, because they're trying to both land the joke and keep the murder mystery going and keep the suspense. And there's, I, I don't know if it's cause there's a lot to juggle or you just have different personalities going, but that, that Mrs. White bit where she just like fl- flame flames on the side of my face going, heaving heaving yeah. it just it felt so real i wanted her to and, and the fact that tim uh, tim curry's character uh uh wadsworth just just blows just, her off just immediately just like lets her cuts her off so i thought that was pretty funny but i would yeah it's not like yeah. she's having a hard time articulating herself through the rest of the movie it would have been funny if that That's was like a true. running gag yeah. if she was sort of always having a hard time finding the right words but that's not really the case so you know there's like some jokes here and there that are funny in the moment but not really consistent with what they established for the characters through the rest of the film and i think some of the other disconnect that is happening is i felt that there's a lot of adr in this movie there's a lot of time like obvious dubbing where especially in moments of chaos you just hear very like out of sync 
dubbing of what's going on what's you know who's that what blah blah blah, blah. like it's just all kind of shoved and, in yeah life. exactly so it almost as if the characters don't even know what is being said so it, it's like they're not reacting to what the lines are because those weren't added in until later and so even at one moment towards the end of the movie i'm pretty sure i heard an adr line of let's get on with it that sounded like it was out of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I swear, I was like, wait a minute, who said that line? Because it's like a weird Scottish accent. I don't remember that. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, it was. What what was what what moment was it? It was after they do the whole bit with the cop and pretending like people are making out with the dead bodies and stuff, and then once they lock the cop back in the library and go to split up one last time, that is where I hear that line you know let's get on with it <laughs> like what that was that was a really good i'll just say kind of disconnected but that was a really cool scene where the uh the cop was just kind of looking around at these people just making out to some uh doo-wop on the old uh vinyl goes these oh, people are just here. having people a good time but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. land of the free this is america i didn't know it was that free it's one of those movies uh, yeah. where the cast definitely definitely especially tim curry elevates the material but they're also held back by it like it's like one of those like combo (laughs) well like yeah there's some there's the forced jokes that don't work that you could tell they're making the most of and i think a lot of what they elevate is in their body language like they do they are dedicated to these characters uh and so i think they probably crafted uh some maybe i'd like to think they crafted some ad-libbing or some physical comedy while they were there um because it is like consistent, like Mr. Green. I like he's always the character that's getting like thrown around or something. Like he's the butt of the joke a lot, things like that. Yes. Uh, but you're right. Like the plot is kind of hard to follow at times. Like they do establish in the beginning why each character is getting blackmailed, but then at the end, when Tim Curry is taking us through the whole plot again, they kind of establish even different reasons why they're being blackmailed. So I was like, oh wait a minute. Like was was Colonel Mustard being blackmailed? For going to Miss Scarlet's whorehouse, or is he being blackmailed for selling like airplane parts? Like, yeah, like now he's a war profiteer. Now, now it got dark. Now it weirdly got to a point, and I, again, I don't know if, like you said, that was meant to throw us off because it's one of the options you get for an ending. When this was in, you know, movie theaters. For those that are listening to this and don't know, whatever end, end of the three endings you got was based on what movie theater you went to. You didn't get all three like you do on the DVD. Right. So to that end like maybe that was just meant to be like a a a wrench thrown into it is like oh wow i didn't know they were going to do something like that but that one felt a little weird and and that one then it got a little convoluted it was another one of those examples where it was like i I can do you guys doing complicated murder plot or i could have you do like fun nearly repertory like murder mystery but you got to pick between one of these things i can't it it just it, it it feels like one of these things becomes not like the other, you know, and uh, and and then trying to blend comedy alongside it, uh, it's just uh, again, it's just kind of doing a lot all at once, and so it, it, that was strange. yeah, yeah, because then at times, especially like, because Tim Curry takes us through the whole plot at the end, and that's where they're really bouncing around with the comedy, but then at other times it gets dark just to come right back into the like even the music I feel like has a hard time catching up with the tone that they're going for. Yeah. And- 
And also, I just want to add that I like that. I wanted to. It's the thing is, I wanted to be elevated. I wanted to get like nearly Monty Python level of goofy, like get even weirder with like body flailing. And I thought it was way more of that when I was a kid, and it felt like very muted because again, they're trying to get on with it and get towards the end here. Um, now that they've brought us through the whole plot for the third time now in the movie, if you're watching all three of them or or just trying to run back and forth. Although I will say that was um, a fantastic highlight performance Excellent. by Tim Curry going through all of it, running he through it. He was the that highlight. Was just like, a, the, one of the reasons yeah. why I would definitely go back and watch this movie is because is to do like a Tim Curry retrospective. I think, I think he even said this is one of his favorite roles. And it clearly – like this is – if you want to get to know Tim Curry, this is – one of the five movies if in your movie day that you should watch uh i, I and yet all three endings kind of sucked <laughs> i was like it, well, all, it, it all ends up in a night little bow and not even that like well we'll get to the three endings yeah. yeah i like the idea of there being the three endings but to me the only ending that makes any sense is the last one where all the characters killed one person, but then you have Mr. Green doing the reveal like you would at the end of the game. Like, it was me with the revolver in the hall. That's the only ending that makes any sense. I mean, if I was sitting in the theater back in 1985 and I got the Mrs. Peacock ending where she killed everybody, I would be so unsatisfied because yeah. that makes no sense. She killed everybody in that ending? I, I Like, how? <laughs> it does, that does and, not add up for a second. This- and of course, in this universe, JJ, you were only able to see one movie that month and all the other kids across in theater number two just got out of Back to the Future, the first one. And they're like, oh, my God, there was a flying DeLorean <laughs> and they went back to 1955. And all you have to talk about is Clue. And that's just no one's going to talk to you in high school if you're just talking about Clue. Yeah, no, no, you're getting beat up if you were seeing Clue. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm curious, too, if, Bullied by if Clue. people back then knew that they were getting one of three possible endings I'm not quite sure if they just, well, oh, that was the ending that you got. It was just Mrs. Peacock, I guess. Or if you maybe knew and try going to another one and hopefully you're getting a different ending and not seeing the same one again. You've got blood on your hands. I didn't do it! He's got new injuries. Well, he's certainly dead now. Why would anyone want to kill him twice? It seems so unnecessary. Well, that's what we call overkill. What we call a psychotic. Unless he wasn't dead before. What's the difference? That's what we're trying to find out. We're trying to find out who killed him and where and with what. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting. All right, I am. So I actually looked this up because it fascinated me because it seemed that a lot of the critics, well, not a lot. There's a there's a balance of critics' anger, but one of the top. Uh, reasons to be angry by the critics was that you didn't get to choose and they made you this convoluted way to get you to three see three movies is you had to go through the movie theaters but to their credit a lot of local newspapers that did ads for clue would tell you which theaters had which ending uh so like if you wanted to see ending a you had to go to you know the The one in patterson new jersey if you wanted to go to b you had to go to jersey city and other new jersey cities in case you're listening to this podcast from not new jersey um just like they would tell you which ones to go to i think the fact that we're talking about this movie on this podcast shows that the audience was like i think i'm good with whatever ending that i got like i I, well i'm curious too yeah i think i'm fine I'm curious too, because like this, you know, this is the Rotten Tomatoes score, so this is the score of people who watched it later on during the internet age, and so I, you know, those are people who mostly know the three endings and watched. Like the first time I watched this, I thought everyone saw 
those title cards too like it could have happened like that but what about this well it really happened like that i thought yeah i didn't know that you only saw one ending until later on Mm. so i think uh you watch all three you get that interesting sort of thing like oh right because include you it ends a different way each time so it it actually they should have just shown all three (laughs) originally it it yeah, it leans itself. The one that you see, whether it's on VHS, DVD, whenever it became home media, it leans itself for it all to be available in the movies because they have those like old fashioned title cards that you would see in like silent films or perhaps an old murder mystery film. And it says, now here's another option. And, right. then, and then it goes, but this is how it really happened. And it's like, that would have been so cool to see in the movie. Like just to agree with you guys, like that would have been such a fun thing to see and would have been, it fits perfectly with the theme. It fits perfectly with the variety of the game clue itself. And there's so many clues to the actual, no pun intended to the actual, or a little bit, I guess to like the, actual board game from apparently was it the floor in the hallway looks like the board game or maybe it's in the dress drawing room i can't remember but like so many other calls to the original game that would have been another example like it ends different every time i don't mind the gimmick itself i actually think it's a little bit ahead of its time in a lot of ways uh but clearly if you got if you were the theater you and you got ending c that's the be- like they clear they put no work into uh scarlet and peacock's storyline if all three endings or if they wanted to do more but if all three endings were just better written and more engaging yeah. and like even if it was goofy and didn't make sense it was if it was just more engaging and better written people i think this uh this movie would have a different history to it yeah yeah mm. i mean like the Mrs. Peacock ending especially feels kind of rushed. Oh yeah. Uh, but then but then the 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 Mrs. Scarlet ending the one element about that that really makes me mad is that none of the six cardinal characters kill Mr. Body in that ending. It's a vet, a new character. So because you go into the movie thinking like who's he going to be? Colonel Mustard, Mrs. you know, Miss Scarlet, none of them. It was some other person that is not even from the game. So that's why that first ending again like in the context of the movie might make a little sense, but in terms of being inspired by the board game is a total departure. It's unsatisfying. Yeah. Now I think I think the Mrs. Peacock one feels rushed because they filmed it way darker. Did you guys read about that? No, I didn't know. Oh, so the, I I I don't know how solid this was actually going to be put in the film or if they just filmed it for the heck of it, but I had read this. I'm pretty sure I read it on the IMDb. Um don't at me if I'm wrong. Uh, but it's it. If I recall correctly, uh, Mrs. Peacock. Spoiler alerts here. Going to her car to leave. The guy who pretended to be the um, the Bible dude who came up. Like, do you do you know that Armageddon's close at hand? Who who turns out to be the chief of police or chief detective? Um, goes up to her, uh, shoots her in the original filming of that, like shoots her dead. And they say that if you see the one scene where the cops are coming out of the bushes towards Mrs. Peacock's car, when they first catch her and the lights Mm -hmm. go up, you can see the smoke billowing from a gun implying that that shoot shows that they did that shoot to kill Mrs. Peacock (laughs) on the spot and then continue on with the, well, yeah, th- yeah. Clearly, it was too dark, and they were like, "This doesn't. This is grim. Let's and not they do still it like do, this." And they, and that's they, why, that's why they. They still it have out. Tim Curry after that going. Does anyone care for dessert? <laughs> like, shake, rattle, and roll. Yeah. And they just do that. Wow. Yeah, yeah that that is pretty dark uh, to kill that one of the characters grim. at the end. I mean, at least with the Mrs. Scarlet ending, 
I do like the whole bit about you know how many bullets are left in the gun. You know, one plus two plus two plus one. Like I, I think that that's was kind good. of yeah, a funny bit that, that works, uh, especially with the other chandelier falling behind Colonel Mustard. That that at least has a little more of a payoff and thought to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when you get when you look at that final ending, it ties mm. in the whole thing about the informants, which again mm, is a yeah. smart idea to add more elements of murder and implicate uh this and kind of add more dimension to the story i wish they kind of see like in the first and third acts you you see like these ideas these smart ideas and what seems to be like an interesting framework to go into and they seem to really lose sight of that in the middle because i like that each character has someone who informed on them who shows up the house and gets murdered by another one of the weapons each weapon gets used at least once yeah they seem to put a lot of thought into that too yeah so like that's why i think in my initial viewing when i was much younger more impressionable i suppose i i thought this was like a good movie and it was smart and like that last ending i thought like really seemed to like connect all these pieces that they had given me in the beginning and i guess i just really enjoyed the yeah you know, the the farcical humor in in the middle, but now as I'm older, yeah, I wish it was so much more consistent because there is, you know, if maybe with a couple more rewrites, you would have had a more consistent movie that maybe would have relied on dark humor as opposed to just physical hmm. comedy. Yeah, it does. I mean, again, going back to the idea that this is a board game with very little uh, in the realm of like plot and development other than characters names and the fact that somebody died and you got to find out who done it. It really does get legs of its own pretty quickly. I mean, we've got original characters almost immediately. You know, we get the framework from where they all come from. And those, uh, you know, characters that come in later that are connected to the others that become that are the informants we later learn. You know, that was really impressive if only it stayed with a a real standard like theme that we could all get behind and really enjoy other than it kind of, you know, wanting to be everything at once, uh, both body and suspenseful and a little not gory, but definitely, you know, show us like knives, you know, coming out of backs and stuff like that even in the way that you want. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt, but like even, even like when they kill the singing telegram girl, I think that is a good example of dark humor that I wish we got more of, you know, it's like, it's, it is dark yeah. and kind of like horrific. <laughs> this poor girl has no idea. But again, within the context yeah. of the film, it is it is funny, and that yeah. that sort of darkness and el- like and to, to alleviate, uh, you know, that the sixth person getting killed in this, and they even say like, oh, six murders. It's getting serious now. Like that that is yeah. more of the humor I want in this. And maybe tip of the hat to Tim Curry again. It, it like jokes like that sort of border on like the surreal humor of rocky horror like a little surreal a little like dark still could like make you like side splitting laugh if only it was consistent throughout the whole time i would switch that for some of the more slapstick jokes like i think madeline khan says one when uh mr body like had had gotten awake and Miss Scarlet says, maybe there's life after death. And she says, as far as I'm concerned, life after death is as much impossible as sex after yeah. marriage. And I was mm, like, that, like, yeah, that there's was, a, there's really, that was great line stuff. Like I could understand, like, this is a quotable movie. There's some good ones. I remember that. But so that's still, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a There's zinger. good ones and there's stinkers, you know, it's just, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. I'm with you, JJ. I just wish the consistency. I just wish the, uh, the consistency of the, the same humor. Yeah. It just occurred to me though with the cop and the motorist 
uh, Tim Curry, in the end, when he's taking us through the story, he says that they were invited to come. But that is, I think, a little bit of a manipulation on the film's part because we see the motorist's car wrecked on the side of the road. And maybe he was making his way there. But the cop is definitely someone who stopped because he saw the wrecked car. And he comes to the house to see if he had stopped by. So that is like, wait a minute, like what a coincidence that he happened to also be the cop that was being bribed by Miss Scarlet. Again, like you had to get him there. Sure. Uh, also, he's a he's a cop that is bribed by Miss Scarlet, meaning that his jurisdiction is Washington D.C. He drove all the way from Washington D.C. to New England in order to figure out what's going on here. And can I just say, talking about movie plots for a minute, beginning of it when Wadsworth first like enters in, it says New England in the title card, New England, 1954. Fine. D- d- don't really. I mean, we're doing the whole like communist thing as part of the plot. Fine. It's a 1954. Couldn't give us a state. Couldn't just say Connecticut or, <laughs> okay. or New Hampshire. It was so you had to just say New England. That's like six states. Like I don't know. Could have been anywhere. It just felt. It felt like. It felt like. A, I. I didn't understand the unnecessary ambiguity. It was like, Clue never tells us where it's said. Of course, you want to go someplace where there's like the sort of old mansions of uh of the of the wealthy of the United States. Just say Connecticut. I uh, just that one I, felt weird. Yeah, yeah. It's so vague. You might as well have said like the Mid Atlantic or something. Yes, exactly. Guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Deep South. I guess 19, the, the, yeah. this Clue movie that we just watched is good. Has the has a good length of an hour and a half, and I guess less if you take out two of the uh, endings. But I think the Clue movie that we're we kind of want to see needs a little bit needs to be like an hour forty five, hour fifty to just add those little moments of character development. Right, right. Maybe maybe mm. more like scenes of the characters like this talking together like a couple like with the character split off uh, around the midpoint way of the movie Colonel Mustard is as he suggests they split off into pairs. But you don't really see the characters interacting too much except in these again hit and miss comedic moments. It would have been nicer to see at least a little more dialogue between the characters that are split off together and maybe the characters who are split off together coincidentally have more in common, right? Like what if you put Miss White and Miss Scarlet together because they have Yvette as a link between them or something like that. You don't really see the characters gain to know more about each other or anything. They're just kind of sticking to, again, these sort of jokes, which again, some of them are fine, uh, but... That, that could have been a way to kind of add more depth to the story and to their characters and, um, again, like reach more of that consistency that we're looking for. It, it lo- I agree. It loses a possibility of complexity within the characters in that if they had paired them with their connections to other people or even with their dislike of other people, um, that would have been a very strong choice that we could have seen them sort of gain these little bonds together and partnerships and then be shocked when the other one turns out to be the murderer or, you know, turns out to not have done the thing. And instead this felt like a room full of cats and every one of them was on their like hind legs, sort of like keeping their backs arched. Like no one was ever really all that comfortable with any one person at any time, which might've also added to maybe what I felt like a little bit of 
difficult chemistry together because that that really makes to continue this you know plot along and keep it in full feature length film that complexity you know helps move things along but also let us see the universe and people acting as humans together whereas like uh it was very again I, i'm going to use this word again and it's not a mark on the actors who do an incredible job i believe but it feels very repertory style murder mystery with all of them just the whole time just trusting each other right which which might which might be true in real life, but it might have been fun to, like you said, to see Miss White and uh, Miss Scarlet sort of like have a strange bond for a moment of their dislike of Yvette or or, or whatever it is. Yeah, because at least yeah, they all are distrusting of each other one in a very broad sense. But like maybe you could have had yeah, some characters have more of a rivalry with 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 some than others, right? I mean, like they mm, pair yeah. like Mister Green with Yvette because. Like obviously they established that he's Mr. Green is gay, so he'd be the one guy who wouldn't want to go with her. You know that was like the joke. Although at the end, in the in the third ending, that I guess was all a lie. You know, I'm gonna go home and have sex with my wife. It's like okay, shake, roll, roll. Um, Let me go back to that. I, and that's that's been, the other thing too, though, yeah. about the third ending making the most sense is that Mr. Green being an FBI informant getting in there because he's the only cardinal character that does not have a corresponding informant, right? Like Mrs. No. Peacock had the chef. Uh, Miss Scarlet had the cop. Uh, Colonel Mustard had the motorist. Plum had the uh, singing telegram. The telegram. And then that leaves Miss White with a vet. And so Mr. Green is actually, when you think about it, really like the odd man out. And like he even gets up himself to, to to like say like why he's being blackmailed, but I don't think that's even ever corroborated by any of the other characters. So that actually, if you think about it, that's like one thing maybe that they sort of planted ahead of time is that oh this this is like the yeah. one guy that actually doesn't fit into this wider scheme, and so he would be like the guy at the end who turns out was just an informant. That's an imp- I'm glad you brought up that scene, JJ, because that was uh, I remember that being funny when I was a kid uh, and also enjoying it now, if only because it's the one that no one's impressed by. Like, not only can it not be corroborated, but when compared to like, oh, my husband's the senator and I take bribe money for him to, uh, uh, you know, t- for him to pass certain laws. Oh, I run a house of ill repute in Washington, D.C. You know, all the oh, I'm I'm you know, I'm the one who goes to that house of ill repute. And then he just stands up, declares himself himself a homosexual afraid he's gonna lose his job from it and despite uh, i think miss peacock makes a little smirk whatever she's who she is but like it's just friggin' like then he just kind of like sits down quietly and says thank you and it's just like he he is kind of like the fish out of water and that his is kind of like okay <laughs> like it's just not it's not the, it's not the same level um so it kind of feels like yeah they, they did that purposefully to be like well he's got to have some kind of blackmail otherwise it doesn't work for him to be here and then our our cover's blown to get them yeah yeah exactly he has a funny moment too after that awkward sort of pause of you know thank you and then he sits down and smiles at professor plum who immediately gets up and he's like uncomfortable it's like well anyway Uh, like that you know again that's all in the beginning when there's a better blend of the mystery and the comedy you were jealous that your husband was stripping her that that's why you killed him too yes Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths. The answer to, like, as to why 
uh, we feel the way about this movie can be chalked up to um, one, the inexperience at the time of a young Jonathan Lynn, who has went on, has gone on to direct some fine comedies, including the perfect My Cousin Vinny. But I think that this was his first... Perfect. Uh, and he never wrote. He never wrote again. No, but he never, like, he only directed after Clue. Um, so I, I... And maybe John Landis did kind of, in a, in a poltergeist way, John Landis came in and kind of added his tone into it, adding into a mixed tone, while also you're getting the actors doing their own thing, trying to elevate the material. So you're getting a hodgepodge of so many so many voices and no i'm just like it it's just like a it's just like an equation of fine that's it's an equation of fine i mean Mm. yeah you would think that with especially this cast of characters which you know all these actors are funny but none of them were like big leading stars they all seem to be Consistently, like playing supporting roles in yeah. various comedies or TV shows, you know, Martin or special guests here and there. So you would think that there's like, no, <laughs> yeah, he, he is. You know, there's there's no He's, like there's no yeah. like big personalities. You would think that would be challenging for a young director. You would think you maybe had all the ingredients there for you know a director working with mostly like just working character actors who are more used to getting direction. And so you know the stage was set there. But again, it all comes down to the script. But you know, he had you know, he, I think he did. He probably added more elements to it as well um, that you know maybe we're not giving him credit for. But yeah, you know, again, it all comes down to the script. Yeah, yeah. The the, the script itself. Th- there are so many strong performers. There are so many fun jokes executed in a way that are very entertaining and very memorable. It felt very much like the whole time. These are professional, many famous actors coming together for a script that felt like it'd be better for like a theater company, like or or or, or maybe even to a lesser or I don't want to say to a lesser extent, maybe to an equal extent. The same way when they like take an old musical, they've been doing that on NBC like every year near the holidays and like doing the live version yeah. of it. Um, it, it had yeah. it had that energy to it where like yeah you can put as many A-listers on this as you want you know Back to the Future Christopher Lloyd's doing two like in theater national movies yeah. at once and um, it, it's just something about this script feels more like it's like it's almost like they're doing this as an acting exercise or like a really cool opportunity of an experiment more so than it being well executed as a writing piece yeah. it didn't really feel much like that which again I give I to to play a devil's advocate, give a lot of defense for when your only resource is a board game and doing yeah. the having the first chance to actually do that. But uh, and a lot of chutzpah to that and 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 credit. But but at the same time, it was uncharted territory. It still lacked. There were it there was were uncharted territory hardcore. Yeah. But yes. I, it kind of leads me into the next. You kind of mentioned it already, Dan. But I, I'm kind of, you know, I, I I was looking at ideas or people who have been involved in remakes or the that they want to remake this and i'm kind of i think Mm. you know murder mysteries are hot again you know your knives out you got kenneth branagh doing his thing uh adam murder mystery was popular on netflix with adam sandler i think uh i think we could use another clue movie 
with more with a more visionist just with more vision and maybe and maybe in today's day and age a gimmick like three endings could work in the same way like on netflix uh, it have it would have to work on a streaming service yeah or maybe like you ha- you you could choose you know ending a b or c or you can with netflix it'll randomly generate one of the endings for you but if you want mm. you can like maybe just watch all the endings in one go or you can ask them to like randomize them uh you're right that might that might work better with a little more interactivity because that was always a thing that they tried doing the theaters for so many years like interactive movies but it was never going to work yes. for the internet age i think there's been like some some really bizarre ones over the years where like you had like i don't know some control button in your seat uh, and you would vote for what and you then regis filmman would be like the always, audience voted no, for number no, b here you go that, that was those were always ill-fated and they're always inconsequential choices it was like do you want the character to give the middle finger or do you want them to like show what? their butt <laughs> so like i tell you th- what nothing nothing like fighting with the people who i forgot i was sharing a room with because i was watching a movie in order to get the ending that i ultimately will not get because they all chose something else it is just there's no good and 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 you know to the idea of like making a new clue in the netflix style as somebody who was very critical of bandersnatch and have a lot of opinions about it i would be interested in seeing what they could do with a fully interactive murder mystery movie with some a-listers like that i think it could be clunky or it could be a lot of fun would you want an ending for each character though because you only do the three endings in the original movie which is fine i think it would have been too much to do an ending for each character but could you imagine if you have you somehow write it where it would make sense for all six characters to have committed the murder at one point or another. Like that is like a real challenge, but if you could do it, I think you'd have a real winner. Mm, I, there. Uh, uh, Dan, I was also critical of Bandersnatch, but I was interested in the, I, I, I lack for a better term gimmick. Cause I think uh, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt did it. And I actually enjoyed, it made me laugh. And if I'm ever, if I ever decide to rewatch that show, that's included. Maybe not Bandersnatch. If I, you know, with Black Mirror, you watch your favorites. I think for, I, I was asking myself uh, this today, earlier today, like, I guess, like, the, how would the rewatchability of a movie like this go? Especially if it's all, like, you know, they're filming 96 hours worth, you know, they're coming up with choices for everything. Like, your, your actions have consequences. Uh, it, they have to give a shit. That's all, like it. They have to give a shit. The writing has to be fun. It would make you want to go back and rewatch and spend the whole night playing it, I guess. Uh, but I think I we haven't had a movie like that yet, so we don't know. Uh, we just don't. That's also uncharted territory. But I think Clue is the perfect movie for that. And they've been looking to remake this. I think Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman have been involved, and I think. If, if all this fails, make it a video game. Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, look, make it and, – and, and if you're going to make it into an interactive Netflix click-and-watch adventure, dive into the absurd. Dive into the crazy. We've got Death on the Nile. We've got uh, Murder on the Orient Express. We, we've, we are living in what feels like a, a, a new age. I don't know if it's golden or a renaissance or what you want to call it. I'm not good with terms like that. But we've, we've got this term um, – this age of murder mysteries coming out. So we've got the serious – Let's let's go back to the the body, the sex jokes, the absurdity, people flying in the air for no reason. That let make me laugh and also there's a murder. <laughs> Is that so hard? Netflix. 
It's possible. Idiots. I didn't know people would want it, right? And then there's, I think this movie has enough fans that there'd be interest in it. You have a lot, a lot of actors these days that probably could do well in any. Twenty five million Dan's watched um, totally. Like, oh oh watch Blue this weekend. <laughs> what if? <laughs> it's um, look at all these Dan's. <laughs> and what? And it's the only clue that's only played by Timothy Chalamet. He plays every role, and uh, it's exhausting for him. He he, ba- he barely. Tried, made he tried to do that in Dune. So. Oh gosh. <laughs> See, I was thinking Played instead of getting like the A-listers, maybe get like the supporting actors. I would think you maybe would wind up getting a bunch of SNL actors in this, something like that. They should just hire a bunch of high school performers and just get them on a Netflix national, you know, contract. Like, hey guys, you want to do this? You're gonna do it for your spring musical anyway. Sure, people would love that. I think though, the as much <laughs> as there is like a theatrical energy to this movie, I do think it is. The challenge of making a theatrical version of this is that you have to have six rooms and you have to like move in and out of each room very quickly. So that's kind of really hard to do on a traditional stage. You'd have to have maybe like multiple multiple levels of three rooms. You could have a level. rotating it, it was, set. It would be tricky to like do ha- that. Yeah, I did. A, it would have to be like a. It would have yeah. to be like a, a kind of an elaborate set with with a sizable budget for the production. I did a play like this my freshman year of high school. It was called Something's Afoot. It was based on uh, Agatha Christie's Ten Little Ten Little uh, Indians. Oh. I think it was called. Oh, and then there was one. It was, yeah. I, I think it was. I think it, yeah. It was one. It was Ten Little Indians, and it became. And then there was one. Either way, um, but it was called Something's Afoot. And uh, yeah, they, they basically we set it in like two separate rooms. It was like the drawing room and the kitchen, and uh, it made for a lot of deaths <laughs> off scene. It's like the only way you can get it done. It's just hmm. like just a lot of screaming backstage. I was in like a really bizarre play in like seventh grade or something. It was like an American Idol murder mystery. <laughs> what? I'm just remembering this now. I was like an extra in this. I was like in the audience on the you stage. You were Justin Guarini. But you had, yeah, I had, um, I don't know, like you had like the American Idol contestants, but they were getting killed off one by one for some reason. I, wow, I guess they were really sorry for 2004. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah, this is like very, a very like, and the thin... and the murderer was Brian Dunkelman. <laughs> it, very mid 2000s sort of thing. All right, we're done it. They all did it. But if you want to know who killed Mr. Body. I did. In the hall. With the revolver. Okay, Chief, take him away. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Now, go. in honor of the movie Clue and its three endings, I say we record three different endings for our scores. I say we do one where we side with the critics, one where we side with the audience, and one where Mr. Green shoots us in the hall with the revolver. Uh, but in all serious, let's let's get into our... Uh, final scores. So, Dan, what would your percentage score be for for Clue? And any f- final thoughts? You know, yes. Um, final thoughts. Uh, I will say that of those three choices, I know that that's not exactly what we're standing with, but I am going to be somewhere between the critics and the audience on this bad boy. Um, I thought my going into this film, I thought it was going to be a lot higher. Maybe because I remembered more of the funny, like, sex jokes and physical humor. And I was remembering all the comedy that I wanted and not so much the more confusing suspense moments and having me remember, like, exactly how the board is set, which is what they do exactly in the the mansion. Again, an impressive theme. 
I got confused by Mr. Body. Um, it felt like he was in a totally different decade than 1954. We didn't really get to that, but just want to point out that felt very strange. Then I went on to learn that that's the actor Lee Ving, who was in the band Fear. And um, I think he was cast solely because of his name. Um, do you guys know why? Lee Ving? Apparently, apparently they cast him so uh, the director could say, oh, yeah, uh, Mr. Body, he's leaving. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. That's what like, I, I that's what IMDb says. I, I don't refuse. Know. Uh, I uh, refuse to believe that's true. I agree that that was uh, not a good casting choice because he does not really look like he fits into that world. But if that is that is not the reason. All right. I don't care. Well, you heard it here, folks. JJ doesn't believe in I movies. Don't, I, don't, um, yeah, I don't believe that fact. I, I refuse to believe that's true. It's a come on. It's a pretty good fact if that's leaving. true. I I that, leaving. That's Mr. Body leaving. Oh, I'm I'm in pain already. I'm losing my hair. But there's no camera for you guys to say. Um, yeah, he felt uh, he can feel completely somewhere else, completely out of it. Uh, you want to talk about dubbing? There were a couple of moments where I think there was actually dubbed voice yeah. there because it was just very odd how he was speaking there. But yeah, there's a bit of dubbing going on with him. But at the same time. I'm impressed by how they did some things. I can't put my own stupidity of not being able to follow the plot of, you know, where people were running and going, that can't be a mark against it. This is still impressive in many ways. I still will always love Madeline Kahn's flaming ad lib monologue. Um, there's a lot to love here, even if it's a little clunky and sometimes feels as dusty as a young Dan was afraid of it to begin with. You know, I give it like a 75 percent. Um, you know, it might be another 10 years before I fully see this film again. But if it's a rainy day and I have a nostalgia for it um, or, you know, if I want to remember some actors moments in it that I didn't get to see beforehand this would be a moment to go back to it but it's not as strong as other films um, or even just to to get that last line I'm going to go home and have sex with my wife and then I always remember the flipping of the cards when they just go eh, shake rattle and roll which I've already done this is my third time now uh, in this podcast so I stand with about 75% with this okay yeah, that's good I feel I'll probably lend around that score too um, and which, by the way, before we get to Keith's score, it just occurred to me, too, with the Mr. Body, or at least the initial Mr. Body, uh, yeah, his whole thing when he brings in the weapons, it's like the only way to avoid getting exposed is by killing Wadsworth. It's like, wait a minute, why would it not occur to you that since you're blackmailing all of them, they would just kill you. <laughs> like, and that just occurred to me now that like, wait a minute, like why, are you, if you're blackmailing a bunch of people, why would you give them a bunch of lethal weapons? And, and, and it's between like, yeah, it's between like that weirdly flirting with Yvette dressed like an Italian gangster, like having a snakeskin um, uh, suitcase. What what are you? What is this? How is this happening? Yeah, yeah, that was all that bit off that the more I think about it. But OK, Keith, so, uh, uh, where think, are you standing? Dan, you kind of summed up a lot of the, the points as to why I feel the way I feel. This isn't a bad movie. I think there is there's fun to be had especially in the, the acting of course especially i think tim curry like is magnanimous on screen uh but there is like i can understand why this is a cult movie and i which means i can understand why people can really latch on to it but i don't think it transcends any out of that cult movie status for me uh i i could see why i could see myself visiting this movie in 10 years when divided to when we have another podcast uh 
Divided, Divided Films, films 2. two. Divided Films 2, now available on Brainship. We're talking about our podcast episodes. That's what, <laughs> It's a retrospective. I'm Divided gonna, I think, Films 2. <laughs> that implies that like the original Divided Films is gone. Long live that one. Now there's Divided Films 2. How do you guys spice it up for the second round? Well, you know... You know, we're doing a retrospective on the podcast, so to like, oh boy, <laughs> it's just we're just. Uh, I I think the critics got it right. I think I'm going to give it a 68. All right, mm. typical Keith not having any original ideas of his own. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> wow, wow. Turn off. Ah! <laughs> oh my JJ god, JJ's Shem. dead. <laughs> um. <laughs> Someone poisoned his brandy. Which, by the way, I didn't get a brandy when I started. Very sorry. I poisoned the brandies and went again serving them to you all. Uh, which, by the way, actually was one of my favorite moments. Is you know maybe she was poisoned and then like she screams, oh, yeah. screams, ah! And then I just love the moment when they're like, you know, the only way we'll know if it's poisoned if she dies too. So they're all like intensely staring at her, and she's just kind of like yeah. looking around as everyone's waiting to see if she dies. I, I, that was like again. That's the darker humor really, of it all. A darker humor. And then I just want to say, then when they run over because they hear Yvette scream, and it was at that moment where she talks about how scared she is about being poisoned. I was like, oh, wow, this French accent is terrible. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit hokey. I don't know why it took me that Although long. Although apparently we find out later on in the movie that the reason they didn't hear the the cook screaming when she was getting killed is because she happened to be screaming at the exact same time Mrs. Peacock was screaming about possibly being poisoned by Brandy. Quite a coincidence. Quite a quite a okay. Twist. So I think I'm gonna land. I just I I thought I would actually be definitely siding with the audiences when I went into this viewing, uh, but then you know some things maybe that I overlooked as a as a younger man uh, came to light this time around. Now that I'm an old man, so unfortunately I had to give this. I'm feeling like a seventy three. I think it definitely could be better could have been worse and again for a first board game adaptation if that even needs to be a thing uh you know not too shabby where are we keith on on our average 72 72 percent so definitely that works that's i think a, a a very reflective score and it is closer to the critics so I officially decree that on Clue we are siding with the critics. Not to say that this is a bad movie or a mixed movie. I, I you know, if you take my take off my critics cap at the end, I still ha- like this movie. And maybe I won't watch it once every ten years. I might watch it once every few years, maybe a little more often than you mm. all. He, he is wearing a cap, by the way, <laughs> just for the audience at home. He is wearing it's, a cap. It's a it's a beautiful tweed cap. It's 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 something I say for <laughs> that says critics on it. I wear it every time. <laughs> yeah, in in gold lettering. <laughs> I wear it every time. I paid ten thousand dollars for it. All right. He also does it. He wears a critic shawl as well. I don't know why you don't take that off because you're wearing like a shawl with it. It looks almost like a like a like a com- like some kind of combination uh, winter gear and great. Britain. I have like 50, a stack of fifty different headpieces on my head that all say critic. And he also has an audience corncob pipe. So you like when, when I need to put my audience pipe in. Yes, and he and he gives the right amount of uh, tobacco puffs for the score. So he just did seventy-two puffs as we've been uh, going back and forth here. All right, all right. I think just like the movie, we've had some bits <laughs> that worked, and maybe some bits that didn't quite work as well. But we tried, <laughs> damn it! All right, 
Uh, uh, did you have one last joke to throw in there, Dan? Yeah, could I do one yes. more? Yes. <laughs> okay, I have one more. I just want to end with. Uh, I well, I don't. That's for you to do. But I want to end the last thing I want to say, which is, oh my God, did I just lose it? Wait. Oh no, wait. So it's uh, it's Roger Ebert's uh, final sentence on his review of Clue, in which uh, he says, "We have a movie that makes it absolutely clear that seven different people were guilty," and I walked out of the theater arguing about where to have lunch. It landed better if you read no, the that was, that's, Shake, rattle, and roll. That's, <laughs> Shake, roll. It's very typical Roger Ebert to basically explain when a movie does not resonate with him is that he's immediately thinking of something else when he leaves the theater. Yeah. So, yes, I can understand where he's coming from. But it definitely resonated with some other people. Maybe this is more of worth seeing at home anyway at the end of the day. Catching on TV or watching on a rainy day, that's probably its best value. Uh, as opposed to maybe going out to the theater. Uh, who knows? Yeah, I think we've all proven that. It's got a little bit of the nostalgia bug in it in that we all remember it fondly for its for its best pieces. And that's that's not so bad of something, you know, if you have good memories and enjoy it. But, um, but yeah, it's like, will I want to run back to this next week or will I want to introduce this to somebody? You know, not immediately, I'll say. Like, that's not the first thing. Perfect for to. the age of YouTube. It has a fan base. It does. It has a fan yeah. base. But in this, age, in this totally. age of YouTube where you can pick and choose your favorite scenes and not have to go to a DVD menu and go to the scene selections, you know, this it could definitely thrive in, in this current state. Uh, so thanks, Dan, for joining us for, for Clue. It is always a pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. Um, I am going to go back to the icebox where I was stabbed. <laughs> okay, very nice. Uh, I'm going to go and, uh, I guess, hide behind the, the painting secret passage. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'll just uh, end it there. But thank you, Dan. It's always a blast having you on. And uh, thank you all for listening. And look out for more Divided Films soon. Shake, rattle, and roll, guys.